The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Wow, you're loud. Popped your ears a little bit. You really do. I was Amazing. bringing the energy. I know. It's Monday morning. Steve and Sam are here. NFL podcast. We're live on YouTube, as we always do on Monday morning. We're going to recap all of the week three action other than Monday Night Football. And we're back in the headset. We're back. We, we gave it a shot. We got thought, some feedback. We thought we'd improve things. We, we thought we were going to get better, and it turns out we got worse. But we listened to the feedback. That's why we asked for your opinion. And uh, it turns out the feedback wasn't good. Listen, when so, we regress, we make an adjustment. Baker, make an adjustment. Baker. Anyway, we took a shot. We missed. So we're back in the headsets where the sound quality should be dramatically better again. So apologies for uh, the sound quality in the last one. We, we, you know, we took a swing and we missed. Now we're back. All right. So we are back with uh, the headsets, the whole deal. We're live on YouTube. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Appreciate all of our listeners. We're just... The doing millions a lot of millions, millions and millions. We're doing a lot of great things with the pod only because of all of our listeners, all the fans. So let's dive into the week three action. Let's start with Thursday night real quick. Minshew mania. Minshew's really good. He well, really he was good. on Thursday. Um, he was. We, we sold a lot of Minshew t-shirts off the back of that, by the way. Mike Quinn. Does rolls everybody in realize Thursday afternoon sends me this this image of Gardner Minshew's sort of silhouette with his mustache the Jaguar print sunglasses and the, the bandana thing and says, what do you think? I was like, oh, hell yes. Threw that up. And during the course of the game, we, we saw like 60 T-shirts off the back of that. It's pretty amazing. Wow, yeah. The, um, the Minshew Mania stuff. Kudos to Mike, by the way. That's right. great. Great design by, uh, by Mike and the T-shirt store. Be sure to get yours here. Well. We, should, we, need to, we need to get one in. We need to get one here. I need my Creeping Back Toward Average shirt, too. Okay. Is that official? Is that like on yeah, the Yeah, it's on there. Oh, okay. Get, guys, get your creeping back toward average shirt. It's just like a just like a motto for life, I think. Anyway, um the Tennessee Titans have started to do what we feared that they would do, you know, if you were projecting them to be good, is coming out scoring 40 points against the Browns because of various reasons in week one, and then regressing back into a team now that scored 24 points in the last two games. They scored uh essentially a garbage time touchdown. In the fourth quarter, Marcus Mariota just looks late, tardy, pocket presence, poor, getting yeah. sacked a ton. Bad. A lot. And so it's, everybody always likes to blame the offensive line. We always like to bring context to that. Um, 
I don't think the offensive line has been good necessarily, but they are in this weird dynamic where every time they, it's almost like every time the O-line screws up, it becomes a sack and it makes the O-line look worse. Yeah. That's where he, Mariota is right now. The way I was describing his performance to you is that he seemed to make, so he, he, he wasn't without good plays in this game, right? Right. But he seemed to time them for like the play you were about to bench him. Yeah. It's like he is playing so bad that we're going to have to pull him off the field. He, this is insane. And then third and 10, there's a deep crosser, a nice, nicely thrown pass. Okay, all right, reset the counter. We'll give him a little bit more. Maybe he's just rough patch finding his groove, and then it will be like bad, 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 bad. Okay, look, we're going to have to pull him again. This is, this is a disaster. Good play again. It was like every time you were about to pull him off the field and put Tannehill in, he would make one good throw to make you reset the counter and give him a little bit longer. I, so I got news for uh, Titans fans, though. Yeah? Tannehill's almost a clone. Yeah, I mean, it's probably not going to get better. But at some point, there's, a, there's sometimes you bench a quarterback because you think the guy behind him is better and he's going to play better. Daniel Jones, say, right? Eli Daniel Jones. There's sometimes where you bench a quarterback to save him, right? Because this whatever is happening today, it's just things are not going well. We need to get this guy off the field before he hurts himself or somebody else around him. Um, and then there's sometimes where you pull a guy, you bench him because you just have to. Like some, he's just he is playing so consistently crappy right now. There is we have to pull him off the field just to make the point that this is not okay. That's yeah. that's the category that that Mariota is in right now. That he is approaching being benched purely because he's playing so consistently crappy that we need to make the point that this can't happen. Even though throwing Tannehill in is likely to to have exactly the same thing happen in a couple of weeks, you can't you can't go with this. This is insane. I posted the stat the other day, in part to prove a point that like, hey, Mariota taking nine sacks on only nineteen pressure dropbacks is crazy town. Yes. Like the fact that he's taking all of those sacks um, under pressure and not at least finding some sort of positive play or throwing it away or whatever it might be. That's a stat, pressure, you know, percentage of pressured snaps that turn into sacks. That's one place where Mariota has been just well below average since entering the league. But over the last three years, in the bottom five, both Marcus Mariota and Ryan Tannehill. It's one of those, you know, pocket presence things that's just not been great. So um, we'll see what Tennessee ends up doing. So Mariota needs to play a lot better. You know, the thing about Tennessee, though, the defense has not played that poorly. I mean, Minshew made a couple, he dropped a couple dimes in there, mm. had some really nice throws. But overall, the defense has been pretty solid in Tennessee. And I think that's the um, frustrating part for hashtag tighten up Titans fans. You know, the defense is keeping them in every game. And the offense, after, you know, a few fluke plays in week one, has uh, just not been great. And Minshew didn't even get full credit for some of the plays he was, or some of the throws he made because, you know, Westbrook dropped a couple. Yeah, he should have had another right touchdown right, right on his hands. So Minshew actually looked kind of legit. Um, like he didn't look amazing, but he's right now he's kind of the poster child for the limited athlete, limited physical tools guy who might actually have it, you know, quotation marks. Maybe a better version of Cody Kessler. Yeah, kind of. I mean, he's but, Cody Kessler without Cody Kessler's horrendous pocket presence. Without the bad pocket presence, right? right? With with some of that moxie and it factor and right. all the gritty Which is stuff. To say, and all yeah, that. the toughness, the kind of the it factor, the accuracy, the ability to actually put the ball where you need to, only minus having the pocket presence of Joe Flacco, which is Cody Kessler's problem. Um, the other thing is, so they he's forming a kind of interesting connection with DJ Chark right now. Um, I was not a, a big fan of Chark coming out. 
because I don't think I've ever seen a wide receiver with less of an idea of how to actually navigate defensive banks than Chark. Like he would, he would run routes, run right into him. Right. He would just run routes as if there's as if it's against air. And if there happened to be a defensive back in his way, he would just run into them. Um, and like sometimes he's you know he's fast and he's physical, so it, he could get away with it, right? It wasn't always curtains, but at the, you know at the next level you kind of need to know how to set up those guys, how to move them out of the way without touching them, which is what he can't do. I still don't think he's particularly good at that. But Minshew is like dropping these passes in to the one area where he's able to adjust to the ball and snag it, even though a defensive back is draped all over him. Um, so that's kind of an interesting connection that Minshew might be the one guy who's accurate enough to be able to throw the ball exactly where it needs to be so the chart looks a lot better than he's actually playing right now yeah I mean that's the other thing about Minshew because one of the stories coming into the season was hey you know Nick Foles probably can't do what he did in Philadelphia because he doesn't have the weapons though they're getting you know some random good play from a few guys so if Minshew plays like that like every week until Foles is back that's a really interesting call it is I think the investment is going to be but that's one of the it, so i agree i think you've i think if you work on the basis that he's 100 percent healthy now he's ready to come back you go well we've got too much sunk into nick falls to, to to have him lose his job however it's one of those things where maybe the injury starts to drag on longer than it would conventionally no he's not quite 100 percent ready yet to yeah. come back let's uh let's give Minshew another week uh it's still not the uh, the doctors are still not saying he's 100. percent We're gonna we're gonna be safe. We're gonna give him another week, and then like basically until you know Minshew lays an egg, and then you can throw him back out there. I suspect could be a decision, right? I suspect that's kind of how that would roll if he's playing well. So uh, Leonard Fournette in that game, by the way, caught <gasps> six passes. Let's just start with this receiving. Caught six passes for 26 yards. Yeah. Okay. And then, of course, he had a he had 66 yards on 15 carries, a smooth 4.4 yards per attempt. Right. So he looked, you know, pretty efficient game. How many of them uh, came on one carry? Oh, he had a 69 yard carry, but he only had 60. How many? Did 66 say? yards. He had 14 carries huh. for negative three yards. Yeah. And one carry for 69. Uh huh. Forced one missed tackle. This was one of the most depressing performances I've ever seen from a running back. Now it wasn't all his fault. Like no blocking was bad. The play calling some like. <laughs> Minshew had a habit of like basically throwing him under the bus a few times where it's like, uh oh, things are going awry. Move around. Oh, look, there's Lenny in the flat. Yeah. Dump it off. That's dead. why you don't necessarily say oh, those, right. those yards per second. There was a few like hand. hospital passes thrown his way right. where there was no way. But like he's, we talked about this before. He's just not a, a, he's not an NFL built running back for 2019. He's an NFL built running back for like 2002. Yeah, and when you know when the O line's not giving him room, he's just not gonna. Right, he's he's not gonna get to the edge. He's not gonna make a guy miss and then pick up four when he might when he should have minus two. He's not know? good at finding his own space, and when you manufacture him space, he's not good at exploiting space. At which point, what is he? And the answer is bad. Like he's just not he's not set out for today's NFL. It's just a, it's a horrible mix. Um, I, it's amazing. Like when you look back in hindsight at that draft. And this was a draft with Christian McCaffrey in it, with Dalvin Cook in it, with Kareem Hunt in it, with Alvin Kamara in it. Like, and there were people, he went four overall in that draft. At best, I think, right? At best, with hindsight, he's not even the top four running back. Even at the time, like, we had him third, and it turns out we were generous. Yeah, no, we were. We definitely were. So, anyway, the, um, you know, the Jags, see if they make a little run here. 
with Gardner Minshew. Well, we need Minshew Mania to continue. Minshew Mania. Get your t-shirts. Well, now that Fitzpatrick is benched, we need Minshew Mania to take over because the league needs one of those people in it. I wish we could throw a discount. Speaking of the Dolphins, throw a discount on the Fitzpatrick shirt. It's still a good shirt. You could buy that too. Um, The Dolphins kind of kept it close with the Cowboys for a little bit. Yeah. I kept saying, you know, that they're not as bad as maybe they've shown. So now we're giving them credit for keeping it to 31 to 6. Yeah, I think they actually are as bad as they've shown. It's just that sometimes that won't, you know, sometimes you're able to keep it good. My, my thing is defensively, they're not as bad as they've shown, but they're just always in such a difficult position. Offensively, we've talked about it before. That offensive line is as bad as it gets and, and all this stuff. I mean, yesterday was a disaster. Their grades are already in. So again, with um, we're talking about Jamarcus Webb giving up 10 pressures. Michael you mean Dieter giving Jamarcus up six. Marcus Webb didn't fix the offensive line. Shocking, huh? Uh, you know, so again, prefacing this with the situation wasn't amazing, um, but this was the game that Xavier Howard has every now and again that will prevent mm-hmm. him from being the best corner in the NFL. The way some people, a some people claim he is, and b he's being paid like the, he is definitely capable of those games where he looks like the best cornerback in the NFL. Having said that, he also is capable and only a matter of time from having a game like he did against Amari Cooper where he just got taken to town. Like Amari Cooper took him out behind the woodshed and beat on him for three and a half hours in this game. And just five catches, victimized all, the caught all five targets, two um, touchdowns, a couple of, and you know, five for 70 is not the worst stat line in the world. But when you see how he lost some of those reps, it's like he just, he was was, also, when you give up touchdowns, you sure there's more but yards like, to. There was up a couple of routes where his face was like attached to the side of a milk carton with a missing person's number at the bottom. Like he was not within the same zip code of Amari Cooper by the end of the route. That's bad. Um, so this is the kind yeah. of game that Xavier Howard has every now and again that will sometimes go unnoticed, but basically stops him from being one of those top corners. So really quick, not to spend too much time on the Dolphins, but if you're a Dolphins fan, yeah, what what do you want to see? For the rest of the season here. You know, Rosen. what, Rosen's the only thing of interest in this team for the next 13 weeks. Well, what about just... So for me, so I completely agree, obviously, in Rosen. But it's such a difficult situation. Oh, he's screwed. But You just want to see him elevate yeah. the guys around him as much as he possibly can. And then for me, I want to see some of these defensive guys. You know, can Charles Harris show that he's a viable guy? Like, which guys are going to be a part of the rebuild is going to be my question. First round pick, Christian Wilkins has not been great so far. You know, so I, to me, it's about, you know, can they find some defensive line talent? Can they get a Jerome Baker going at linebacker, an athletic guy who just hasn't played football all that well? I mean, can they get one of those guys to emerge? Right. Yeah, you know, I think Xavier's obviously going to be a part of the rebuild. But like you said, there's a reason why Dolphins fans, we weren't saying he was a top corner last year, despite all the interceptions, because he has he's one of those guys who completely backed up our college scouting report. Richard Sherman on some plays bad big 12 cornerback mm-hmm. on others and that's still what we're seeing as far as dallas you know it's kind of business as usual for them they obviously got some pressure and got after the quarterback dak was uh pretty efficient once again uh so you know be encouraged again dallas i mean they're still looking like a super bowl contender they play the saints next sunday night yeah which will be interesting um this is I, like this was i think ended up being a good game for dallas like they made hard work of it initially um, and then Miami made a quarterback switch when, uh, briefly when it looked like things might actually be close, um, which is pretty peak, you know, 
securing that number one overall draft spot. Yeah. But Tony Pollard, by the way, 13 carries for 103. Yeah. He forced five missed tackles on his 13 carries. Zeke forced two missed tackles on his 19 carries. Zeke, Zeke is always a good run to space guy, set up your blocks, get what's there, and maybe a touch more. But he's really not a make you, even in, at Ohio State, if you just yeah. look back at his elusive rating and everything, wasn't great. Um, and again, this goes back to one of those things where we say, you know, he's good at what he does. But, you know, in so, today's NFL, do you want a bigger play yes. threat that's going to go well above So that's the thing, right? He, he's, he's also not really built for 2019 NFL, but he's Ooh. way – no, but he's way he's better. He's way Nets. better. I'm not saying that. I'm saying he's way better at all the things that, um, that he's good at, right? So in an ideal – I think today's NFL running back looks like Dalvin Cook. It looks like Alvin Kamara. It looks like Christian McCaffrey. Those are guys built for 2019 NFL. Zeke Elliott isn't really built like that. He is also, like Fournette, more of a throwback type running back, but he's way better at all of the things – that he's good at than Fournette is. So he's still a really good NFL running back in 2019. He's just not optimized for the way the league is right now. So he's decent on screens and, you know, various things like decent, that. right? He's decent at all these things, but he's not great at the things that NFL running backs need to be great at now for them to be truly dynamic, game changing weapons. Um, he, I don't want to say that he's Thomas Jones in terms of an offensive line barometer, but he's like if, right, if that is extreme. your if that's your style of running back he's like the he's the high end he's the high watermark of that style of player like he is really good at all of those things but not great at generating the yardage on his own so if you spring him yardage he will he will get every last bit of that plus some more that other people won't but, get but he is but it, there is there's vision there's his cutting ability that he's setting up some of his own yardage as well right better Which is than why he's the peak end of it but that's others. the style of player he is. Yeah. And that's why I don't think he'll he's I mean as long as he doesn't fumble he won't grade as poorly as last year. Right. But he'll grade, you know, good not great right. for us and that's what he's been. That's why there will be other running backs that grade higher because there are people out there doing more for themselves than he is. He is taking what other people are giving him and absolutely wringing every last drop of yardage and touchdowns out of it, but there are other people out there generating their own plays and that's not what he does. All right, let's go through some of the other games that are already up. If you guys have PFF Elite, Premium Stats 2.0, our guys have been working through the night to get these games graded, reviewed, reviewed again. 40 man hours go into every single game, guys. Let's go Oakland Raiders. More than that, I think. More than that? Yeah. Is it more now? It's 50 plus, I think. Make it 60. Well, why not? 60 man hours per game. Uh, Oakland Raiders at the Minnesota Vikings. You 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 said Cousins would uh, yeah. this would be the game where he plays well. This, this is why they this is why they got him to yeah. beat the Raiders. This home. went pretty much exactly as we predicted, which is minus. I, I expected three touchdowns. I expected a better. Sure, he didn't have the game. stat line, but this was the game. Kirk Cousins actually looks good because of course he did because it doesn't matter in this game because you're supposed to win it because they're not the Green Bay Packers and you just stank in the one game that actually did make a difference. Um, the Raiders defense was a joke. Um, we talk about how most teams, the run game largely doesn't matter as much as it used to because almost every single NFL team plays gap sound run defense, right? There's a body in every gap, and it's fairly difficult to shift them out of a gap, right? Which means, by and large, running running is not easy because you have to actually move people away from where you want them to be. The Raiders, on the other hand, didn't have bodies in every gap, 
um, consistently, in fact, to an amazing degree that I haven't seen in a number of years. The Vikings were just running plays, and the Raiders literally didn't have human beings in particular gaps. And the Vikings have Dalvin Cook. So he's the guy able to get through the small creases that are opened by large bodies trying to shift other large bodies from the gap. If you just leave him a gap without anybody in it, it's like unfair. He's just fl- flying through those, making plays. Like this was as bad a defensive pl- a display as you're you're ever going to see against the run from the Raiders, um, and they got suitably punished for it. It's so it's what a weird season for the Vikings, right? Now they've got three games on the year, two of which it was run heavy. I mean, Dalvin Cooks played well in all three. Yeah, but the first game, Cousins dropped back fifteen times, had ten official attempts. Yesterday, 21 attempts. He's got, he has 31 attempts in their two wins, 32 attempts in their loss. Right. So this was like them playing there. We're going to run the ball and that's, you know, take the ball out of Cousins hands. And when Cousins needed to make some throws, he did. He threw some nice passes that were also, you know, incomplete or whatever. I mean, this is the Vikings, what Minnesota wants. The Vikings as a team are like one of those edge rushers that beats up on terrible offensive tackles and gets completely stonewalled when they run up against like Tyron Smith. Like they they're going to go through all this season stomping bad teams by running the ball down their throat by suffocating them on defense and then the second they face a good team particularly a good uh, a good uh, good defense Cousins either needs to elevate his game or they're going to lose simple as that yeah not great uh, Dalvin forced seven more missed tackles as a runner yeah he is playing really really good right elusive now. rating of one eleven point five. So far, Darren Waller continues to be like a legitimately viable weapon. Yeah. Now, I can't remember who was on commentary for this game, but they refer to him as special, um, which feels like it was getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. I would go so far as to say, seems he's useful right now, but special seemed to be getting he's a little bit he had, out of You know, a dump off into space and stuff. He also had a stone cold drop, I think, right after they yeah. called him special, which didn't help. But yeah, I mean, let's not. You know, let's not go crazy now, but this is a guy that was a like large, goofy-looking, slow wide receiver at Georgia Tech where they don't throw the ball, um, has suddenly become like a kind of pretty viable move tight end, which is interesting. So Derek Carr with another game where if you average, so like if you, if you average about 10 yards per completion, that's on the low end, and this is the second straight game. Last week, it was 23 completions for only 198 yards, so that's well below. This game, 27 completions for only 242 yards, so well below that 10 yards per completion, just as a general rule that you're saying, okay, this is a shorter passing game, a conservative type of game. He made a few nice throws in garbage time. I mean, it was it was late. So, like, another one of those car games where, like, throw for throw, it wasn't a disaster. His interception, he fired off the right tackle's helmet, and it bounced up. Was that what picked? happened to that? The, yes. one, the thing to Harrison Smith? Yes. Because that looked just like the worst pass I've ever looked seen. looked like he that, missed by a mile. It went that, off that clunked Trent his, Brown's head. The helmet? Uh, helmet. Uh, I didn't realize yeah. that. So, I mean, it was a bad throw. You don't throw the ball off your guy's helmet This is purpose, true, yeah. But you just don't know where it's going to bounce up to. So, so he's had a little bit of poor interception luck there. Um, but I think the Raiders' offense, uh, passing offense now, has regressed back into our, our feeling coming into the season that maybe they don't have enough weapons here yeah besides darren waller right <laughs> yes when darren waller is your prime uh, prime weapon you probably have some issues on so they, they just need to find that balance you know cars completing 74 percent of his passes but they need to start you know he's under 10 yards per completion on the season you got to throw the ball down the field a little bit more mm-hmm. um i lost my um 
I lost my games. Oh, yeah? I lost my list. That's unfortunate. New England beat yeah, the Jets. They did. Tom Brady benched for Jarrett Stidham. I can't believe they put him back in the game. Oh, I absolutely can't. They were like, what? It's a 16-point game now? We're putting Tom back in. Come on. I mean, we're like, before, <laughs> before they put Stidham in, like we've been asking for a while, why is Brady and the rest of those starters still out there? Yeah. Then Stidham comes in, throws the pick six, and they throw Brady immediately back out there. The Patriots' defense has given up three points all season. Right. This was the like there was a there was a so the Patriots' defense has given up three. Special teams has given up seven. Essentially, right. The a defense touchdown. has scored significantly more than they've conceded this year. Yeah, two touchdowns. Right, they've scored two touchdowns. They've given up three. Um, the Patriots' offense has now given up seven thanks to a Jarrett Stidham pick six. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, this was the first touchdown that the team had allowed since the AFC Championship game. Well, was, well, the first one was the muff punt. But yeah, the right. Stidham okay, was the, the first. Yeah, but the first two, essentially. Right. That's crazy. The defense hasn't. So the defense has been locked down. They're headed for a showdown against 3-0 and Buffalo yeah. next week. 3-0 and versus 3-0, just like last year where it was New England against Miami, 3-0 and Miami, with first place so, on the line. In, in the case you were wondering, Luke Falk is still bad. Was it 2-1 and Miami? Either way. I mean, Luke, look. I don't know what he could do. I just don't understand against this New England defense. I don't understand the people that thought he could be good ever. Even what? if you restrict yourself just to recent Washington State quarterbacks, he showed signs he's not of life. Good. I thought he showed signs of life early in his career. Recent Washington State quarterbacks: Gardner Minshew, Luke Falk, and Connor Holiday. Luke Falk is the worst of the three. No, Luke's better than Holiday. He wasn't. Holiday was significantly better than Luke Falk. Luke Falk so. comes in. Because he like is slightly looked slightly more NFL wise body type, everyone's oh, like, "Oh, he's no. the next big." Connor Holiday was significantly better than Luke Falk. It's just, and he clearly had no NFL future at any point in his career. He was one of those like typical air raid Mike Leach quarterbacks where you're like, "You're great in college, you have no NFL future. Forget about it." The best thing you can achieve in the NFL is become somebody's quarterback coach, like Graham Harrell. Yeah, like, you had no shot as I a. I think Harrell made a maybe uh, deserved a shot. Maybe. But that's what Connor Holiday was seen as, and he was better than Luke Falk. No, I don't know. He really was. Luke had no shot against this New England defense. The other thing is, so he's clearly one of these legit noodle-armed quarterbacks. There was a a point in the game where they they showed the sideline view of him. Now, one, he has a truly, truly awful beard, and that should be removed immediately. You're never going to succeed with that in your face. Mm. Two, he's sitting there on the sideline, right, with maybe the smallest arm I've ever seen in my life, right? Now, I don't know if you can dramatically increase your arm velocity, but if you have a noodle and your arm looks like a 12-year-old's, like maybe, you know, maybe you can you do can something about the velocity. gym. Yeah, you should be able to. Maybe you could get out there and, you know, I mean, do some look, arm exercises. We got some feedback that people love my baseball references. Yeah? Yeah. Huh. So I used to be a noodle-armed guy. Yeah? Yeah. Huh. And I had, a, you know, I had people say, look, you're going to be high. You're coming out of college. You're going to be a high 80s guy. That's it. That's what you are. Okay. But I worked really hard. And then before you know it, I was like a 90 to 94 mile an hour guy in my 20s. Wow. So you could do it. You can increase velocity. Tom just, Brady did it. I did it. Why can't Luke Falk do it? I'm just saying, it, like, you know, if, if, if it had cut to the sideline, it's like, all right, that guy's got a noodle arm. But, you know, at least, at least you can see he's lifted some things in the last five years. Fair enough, right? That's just what you, that's the hand you're dealt with. Unlucky. But you're sitting there and it's like my, you know, my younger sister. Your arm looks like my younger sister's. Like, I don't know if you'll be able to increase the velocity, but looking like that, it's not going to be strong. 
So, I met her. I don't think she throws the ball very hard. Right. Yeah. And that's what his arm looks like. So maybe get in the gym and, you know, lift some things. That's all yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, you got to do some functional training. Right. Get that scapula strong. I don't think, I don't, I, I think there's extra yeah, room to be had in that arm. That's all I'm saying. Um, anyway, with New England's offense, now that Antonio Brown was gone, there was a point in the game where Josh Gordon went down due to an injury, and Julian, Ed- Julian Edelman left the game due to injury. By the way, that happened since we were last on air. The Antonio Brown thing has gotten even crazier. Yeah, right. They cut him. So he got cut. And then he says he's not playing in the NFL anymore. Doesn't want to play in the NFL anymore. People renege on their deals. Yeah. Apparently three NFL teams are interested in him right now, but they're waiting that. to see if he's going to go to jail first before they you know, sign him, which is reasonable, I guess. Yeah, I think uh, Belichick was just like, all right, I'm... Did you see the death stare that he gave? Um, damn it, what's Dana Jacobs. Yes. Yes. That yeah. was incredible. Yeah. Like, that... The only way that that reaction was remotely reasonable is if he had specifically said before they went on air, do not ask me about Antonio Brown. And then she dropped the question. I but mean, he, he feels like he did because he said it at the press conference on Friday. That's not so the same like thing, it. though. Like, if he had literally said before we go on air... Just don't ask me about Antonio Brown. We're good. And then she was like, I feel I have to ask you. Like, he answered the question. Like, just like, we're talking about whatever. Then just st- she goes, thank you, coach. And he's still staring at her as he walks off. Like, what did you do? Yeah, he's, uh, he's over it. Right. That's so, just amazing. Anyway, we'll have much more on New England showdown with the Bills. The yeah. Bills are the team. The, the Bills have played them really tough the last couple of years. They just really haven't had the offense. To keep up, the Bills defense has done as good of a job against the New England offense as any defense over the last two years under Sean McDermott. So there will be something to watch. We'll have that as part of our preview on Thursday. But yeah, New England looking historic as far as. Right. There wasn't an awful lot to say about this game. They basically stomped the Jets to pieces. The fact that scoreline dramatically flatters the Jets in this game. Like they probably deserve to come out of this game with zero points. Pretty much. Muffed punt and a pick six. Speaking of Buffalo, 21-17 to over our hometown Cincinnati Bengals. Buffalo was pretty much in control of the game for the majority of it. The Bengals made a, a fun little comeback, made it a, a nice little game. Josh Allen continues to play kind of ugly football. But he, you know, so here's the thing about Josh Allen right now. He had, I thought that Sam Darnold had some of this late game magic where he had it at USC. And I thought that was going to be one of those things where Darnold brought it to the NFL we haven't seen that from him as much but we've seen it from Allen yeah we've seen a guy that can trudge through a few quarters of football turn the ball over force passes and then in crunch time you know pick up a first down with your legs make a big time throw when you need to get the ball down the field with a big arm there's something to that I'd say with with Josh Allen so far the what was interesting to me in this game was the performance of Dawson Knox. Knox was good. Their, yeah. uh, their rookie tight end. Like, so when I watched him, when I watched his tape, what I, what I said he reminded me of was, if you imagine Travis Kelsey, but take away all of the run after the catch ability, right? Which obviously is a huge part of what makes Travis Kelsey special. So you've get, you end up with this fast, uh, good receiving tight end, but a guy just doesn't have the threat after the catch. Then in this game, he turns into the second Showed coming of Vance McDonald and yeah. starts like stiff arming guys to hell, rumbling down the sideline after the catch. Like I didn't see that in college at all. Yeah, I thought he didn't have a great feel as a receiver at Ole Miss. So I don't know if he'll be a, a high volume guy, but you'd it looks like a guy because he's athletic, you get him in space, he can maybe do some damage. Um also you got you got Cole Beasley, eight catches for forty eight yards. I'm I don't know what the balance is here. 
with Josh Allen. We've said this for years with Josh Allen, Cam Newton, Carson Wentz types. You know, we'll, we'll throw those guys in a similar bucket. Guys with cannons for an arm. Guys who could throw the ball down the field. I think Wentz has been the best combination of like using that arm um, and being able to throw short, you know, quick game and everything. Cam Newton, I think, has just been too one-sided. They started to get the short game out of him the last couple of years, but it kind of took away the downfield throwing ability. I still want to see more downfield shots from Josh Allen. I still want to see more aggressiveness and take advantage of what he could do from an you know with a you know with his arm instead of you know just ten targets to Cole Beasley for six yards of catch. Yeah, that's so. If trying to find that balance, I think is going to be a big key for the Buffalo offense if they're going to because again they've got one of the best coverage units in the NFL again under Sean McDermott for the third straight year now and yeah I I think they still have to unlock a lot more offensively I'm really excited by the way that Levi Wallace ended up winning that starting job like his story is pretty yeah and he was an intriguing guy right and and it looks it looked like they were about to dump him out of the starting lineup you know for other failed experiments like Kevin Johnson um but he's actually won the gig and he hasn't played as well as he did last year yet but I, his story from basically, you know, like intramural flag football to starting NFL cornerback in a few years is pretty incredible. Not great. Um, did Cincinnati essentially become? Sorry, I'm I'm saying not great as I look at the Bengals' offense, not responding to you. Okay, not great overall. No, <laughs> sorry, as I'm, well, I'm, sometimes I'm just on my next thought. Hmm. It's just the Bengals' offense. I think they've just kind of become what we thought they would be, and one of the storylines coming into the year was like, okay, Zach Taylor, how much can he mask the deficiencies so from a talent standpoint? I don't, I just don't know if they, week one was encouraging against Seattle, but since then it hasn't been great. But that's what we talked about last time, right? Is that they, their problems are, um, they're so significant that they dictate what your offense looks like. So, your offense, that offensive line is one of the worst in the NFL. It is absolute trash. You know, Andre Smith starting at your left tackle. And the best thing anybody can ever say about Andre Smith is the veteran, right? <laughs> he's just been around for a while. That's the best like, thing. To that's say. that's the, th- the only thing he has going for him is he's been in the league for a long time. But that offensive line is terrible, which means now you, we've talked about the quarterbacks and pressure rate. It's largely they own their own pressure rate, right? So you can control how much pressure an offensive line gives up if you get the ball out of the quarterback's hands really fast. Right. Now, the problem with that is if your offensive line is so bad, it means you have to do that every single play. Yeah, and sometimes which, it's, uh, you know, third and eight. Right. And you so that's the problem, right? Run is down the field. Eventually, you end up in a situation where getting the ball out of your hand as fast as humanly possible is not helpful because we need we need to pick up eight plus yards. Now you're in a problem because do you either keep keep to the game plan try and get the ball out really quickly and accept the fact that somebody's gonna have to make some yards after the catch or do you try and hold the ball for a longer period of time knowing that your offensive line is going to get its ass kicked and that's basically what the the problem with the Bengals right now is that the problem with that offense is that the offensive line is so bad it is dictating what they have to do on offense and if they ever need to deviate from that they have issues and as long as you're in that situation, you become hard or you become much easier to defend because teams know what you are going to do because it's enforced. It's not a, it's not a, a voluntary game plan. It's this is what we have to run for these guys to keep their heads above water. Yeah. And Andy Dalton 
2.4 seconds snap to release. That's generally about where he is year over year. Right, but it's a lot higher than he's been so far this season, I think. I think he's been like the that fastest. Was a little, yeah. Right, this he, week. He went down a little, or up, depending on how you're looking at it. I'm just saying on the season, he's still getting pressured at a higher rate than you would expect for a guy getting rid of the ball 2.4 seconds. Right. Right, so um, some issues in Cincinnati. So as much, uh, man, everybody, the NFL parody, it's looking rough right now. <laughs> you know, there are, look, I, I think the high end, there are some decent high end teams. Yeah. You know, like I, the Rams, the Rams are sitting there at three and oh, and the Cowboys Packers. I mean, there's going to be some really good playoff potential football when some of these teams match up. Yeah. But there are some duds for, for teams out there. Yeah. There's right some now. teams that stink. Yeah. That's how, that's why that's Miami's got to go real hard at this because there's some bad teams out there that are going to be chasing hard for that number one overall pick. You have to go, you have to be really committed to this because otherwise you could easily lose it. Like, you remember, you know, a few lose years the ago, tank. the 49ers won a couple of games late on and took themselves out of the first overall pick. Like, that could happen. Easy. You got to watch gotta, out, Dolphins. You got to work for it. Just remember, losing by 50 only counts as one loss. That's sure. all it counts as. Where are we going next? Um, let's. Well, we haven't talked about Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Yes, this was a fascinating game. As you said, it would be. 33 to 28 didn't feel this close yeah for the majority of the game you know the the ravens made a run late lamar started to regress back into lamar eight for 21 at one point and then throwing up prayers wow that pass was one of the most insane things i've ever seen so it's fourth and five he's under pressure there's so there's two ways of looking at this right we have to look at it from uh Here's here's the throw. We need to grade it based off essentially the expected result when this happens. On the other hand, there's this human element of, wow, it's fourth and five. You have to make this smart decision, which is like, hey, don't take a sack. You have to throw the ball up into the air, which he did. So he's getting killed. He throws it up there, a pass that essentially gets completed about 8% of the time, 8 to 10% of the time, just a jump ball. The best way I saw this pass described is that Willie Sneed, his receiver, intercepted the pass. That was intended for at least two defensive backs on the far side of the field. Oh, I'm talking about a different one. Oh, no, I'm talking about the one where he rolls to the right and just like turns and heaves. No, so there was two of these. It wasn't even a jump ball. You're right. But this one is the most insane, one of the most insane passes I've ever seen in my life. That was the pass that we used, speaking of Josh Allen, that is the pass that Josh Allen made against San Diego State in the Mountain West Championship a couple years ago. That was the type of stuff we put on Josh Allen's tape that says makes bad decisions. Right. Even, rolls right, throws the ball back across his body. Brett Farvish, like, right. worse. Even using decision. the sort of, even confining yourself to the spectrum of those Brett Favre across your body, what are you doing? A rainbow ho- heave and hope passes. This was absurd. Like that, the, that description is genuinely the best way of describing it is that Willie Sneed managed to intercept a pass intended for at least two defensive backs. And they did a the bad air. job. They were kind of drifting. They were like, I right. can't, you know, they had all day to just sit there and try to pick it off. Like he, it was about as far across the field as you could possibly get. It was running as fast as you can possibly do in the opposite direction. And it had more arc and air under it than any of those passes you're ever going to see. Most of those like dive short of where they're supposed to be. Because it's just hard to generate that kind of velocity under those circumstances. He actually got it, like, distance-wise was fine. But in order to achieve that, he had to put it into orbit. And it came down with snow on it. Like, it was, that was a genuinely ridiculous pass. Him and Willie Sneed on the same page. All right, so that that one was bad. That was a a negative grade in our world because it was a bad one. The fourth and five one 
was more of just a lucky one, but like the right decision because it's fourth and five. He's about to get killed. He throws it up. It's a jump ball, and it kept the game alive. So here's my point on Lamar. Um, he did not have a great game. He did um, regress back into a lot of what we thought we were. But with those two ridiculous lucky passes, he still didn't put up great numbers. Like those two right. lucky passes bailed him out numbers wise to still, you know, complete just over 50% and 6.2 yards per attempt and, and a pass rating of 70. In the middle of that, you get an incredible dime down the sideline to Marquise Brown again. Those two seem to have some kind of connection. Yeah. I mean, um, that's, that's scary for opposing defenses because. But you, you know, also Lamar's had a couple. Thrown okay down the field. He's been thrown well down right. the field. Like, those are kind of crazy plays, but you also had more of the typical Lamar, which is this idea we were harping on last year if he's just not accurate, right? Yeah. There was, I can't remember, there was a pass where I think, again, rolling out, tight end is open, and the ball was just, like, into the dirt behind him. We're like, that's, it's not a, it's, that is not a, uh, a large distance to travel. Like, let's say that pass when it was supposed to go 10, 12 yards in the air, right? Yeah. You've missed that by two or three yards over 12 that is a massive miss like i would put that ball closer to the target than where he put it that's terrible like an nfl quarterback should have a baseline of accuracy where you should not be missing a 12 yard pass by three yards like that's just that's expected right right so when you're that's that was our issue largely with lamar's he just has these breakdowns in like basic throwing mechanics where randomly the ball will come out not even in the vicinity of where it was supposed to go and that's a problem now, the first two weeks, those really weren't there. He kind of patched that up, and he was dropping these dimes in there. Now, we still had one or two really good passes this game, and whatever about the crazy ones, that's what was kind of more of a problem, is that, that those bad kind of twitches of mechanics and accuracy came back. It's like, at the very minimum, you kind of want to get those out of him. Like, even if he's going to be a massive high-variance quarterback where you get some dimes, you get some crazy passes in there, if you can just raise that baseline where he's not missing something by three yards in a routine pass, that would be helpful. So all that said, Baltimore still rushes for over 200 yards. Yeah. So that, you know, they rushed for over 200 yards. It felt like they weren't really in the game. That's with Lamar only, only running the ball as a design runner four times. So finished with eight carries for 46 yards and a score. Still dynamic with the ball in his hands on the ground. And this is why, you know, Baltimore is going to be a scary team because it feels like in any given game, they could unlock Lamar 10 or 12 times as a designed runner. And those plays, other than the injury factor, those plays are safer, probably, than Lamar dropping back a few times. I don't know. It's, it's kind of, you're not supposed to run the ball um, as much, but they might be a little bit safer in certain games for Baltimore. And I think I think against the Chiefs, that's kind of the right game plan anyway. Like, this is what we talked about. That's the way they win this game was this ball control offense, trying to slow down what the Chiefs can do and get enough done themselves to be able to live with them. The, keeping the Chiefs at 33 points, eh, kind of, I, I we were talking about if it goes over 30, they probably have issues winning the game. It's, yeah, That's kind of what it ended up being. If they could have kept them in the 20s, they had enough themselves to maybe be able to get it done. That's assuming Lamar plays sort of somewhere around the standard he was playing. I think this game went about the way we said it would uh, or said the, described the options happening and the Chiefs were just too good. Did you also see Lamar basically mocking his own tight end signal during our scramble? That was what he was doing? Yeah. I thought he was celebrating. No. That he was going to get into the end zone. Mark Andrews was like, I'm open. And he was like, I, I, I don't know what I could do about that. I'm running to my left. 
and I'm pretty sure I'm past the line of scrimmage, so the ball's not coming your way. Lamar's been funny because you know, he's been he's been playing with an attitude and everything. He had that comment in week one about, you know, pretty good for a wide receiver. He's playing with... Uh, running back, wasn't it? Or good for a running back. back. Whatever. Proverbial um, chip on his shoulder. Yeah. I mean, this was bad, right? But we're still... The jury... This is why... Like, first few weeks of the NFL season is all about everybody trying to play gotcha, but it's two weeks is nothing. Like through two weeks last year, Ryan Fitzpatrick was the best quarterback in the world, right? And not a single human being was was saying this is going to happen all through the season. Fine, Ryan Fitzpatrick has turned into Joe Montana. This is going to be incredible. We were all like, all right, let's just wait until he comes back down to earth. So Lamar played amazingly through two weeks. Was pretty bad this week. Now let's see where he ends up. Right. Right. Pendulum has swung on a, to either end of the spectrum. Let's see where it settles for him. So I think he'll end up with one of the worst, once it's finalized, one of the worst grades among quarterbacks in the NFL this week. So that's a hard regression there. It's still, all that said, they still scored almost 30 points. And it is, again, to our point, he's going to help open up the run game, open up open throws, all these other things. So the Ravens are going to be a tough team. As far as Patrick Mahomes and his, um, I think he's going to throw for 6,000 yards this year. God. Is he going to throw for 6,000? So the scary thing is, you know, he he hasn't played poorly, right? Because, but he's got we mentioned it before two fumbles. He had a negated pick yesterday. Statistically, he, he's off the charts this season. Passer ratings one thirty four point nine through three weeks. He should have. Um, that's not factoring in those fumbles, negated interception, as we said. He's also missed a few more throws than he did last year. He really has. But they still have this. The, the Kansas City offense. How do they always have a wide open seam player for uh-huh. a seventy yard touchdown or eighty yard touchdown? How does that always happen? Yeah. And then they still have the screen game going. So it's almost like I, I say this with Tua in the co- at the college level with Alabama. Like Tua is so good, he doesn't need like a tap pass for seventy yards and free stats. Right. Mahomes is kind of like the same thing. Like he doesn't need the free stats, but he gets those too. Right. So he's got he's earning the big time plays because he's awesome and he makes big time throws. But he's also got that Andy Reid screen game, which always sneaks a few touchdowns and big plays in there. And so that's why he's putting up numbers that are just off the charts. They partly are, him, partly scheme and playmakers. The numbers are insane. And what's truly terrifying is that you watch him play and he is leaving plays on the table. Like yeah. there's some there's some misses in there that he shouldn't be missing. He's he, you know, he's better than that. Um, and then he connects on the ones that are just superhuman. And you know, like if he if he straightens out the ones that he's missing you, you can't stop him. Like he's, if he's, he actually, if he goes through a run where he starts to connect on those ones as well, we might as well all pack up and go home because you're you're not going to stop this offense at all. He's really almost averaging 400 yards per game. Yeah, he's on pace for over 6,000 yards. I mean, I was joking like 10, 10 passes into the season that he was going to throw for 6,000 yards. Like it's a legit, it's a legit on the table. My only caveat here is 10.5 yards per attempt, all that stuff. It's a combination of him, the passing offense, all that stuff. My only caveat is he has put the ball in harm's way more than the zero interceptions would show. It was a stat they had yesterday that the the most number of consecutive, I can't remember if it was just multiple touchdowns or, yeah, it must be, multiple touchdown games. Um, currently, I think the record is 18, set by Peyton Manning. Yeah. Mahomes is like two behind it. And yeah. Right. You're not stopping him from two plus touchdowns anytime soon. Like he could put that record into the stratosphere. Like you know the remember there was Drew Brees had the record for most consecutive one touchdown games, and he put that like out of sight from wherever it was before. Mahomes legitimately might do the same thing for the two touchdown one. It's just I can't see this offense being held to under two passing touchdowns anytime soon. 
Yeah, so that's what I mean. Like the the high end of this league, you know, Kansas City is going to play New England in December. They set schedule makers set that up well. Uh-huh. You want that. Um, you know, Green Bay once, you know, we'll talk about them in a second. Green Bay, Dallas. I mean, there's a lot of pretty good teams at the high end that are going to um, we're going to have some battles. Uh, let's go to Green Bay. They beat the Denver Broncos. The defense looks good. Once again, third straight game that Green Bay allows 16 or fewer points. They're at three, 16 and 16, three straight weeks. So now you're talking about Aaron Rodgers in this uh, Green Bay offense having a defense to rely upon. And the D does look really good, but there's still probably some question marks about why isn't Aaron Rodgers leading an explosive offense, even though they scored 27. Why isn't he leading an explosive offense like he once could? Yeah, he doesn't look great. He looks, you know, good, but not great. But but it's more it's, so right now he's pro, he's more on that game manager type of spectrum because he's still not throwing right. turnover worthy plays. He's not putting the ball in harm's way moving the chains, making making some plays, didn't take any sacks yesterday. That was a, a bonus. So overall, he's playing well and grading well. This is what is fascinating to me. We kind of touched on this last week talking about Baker. But people act like quarterbacks are static in the way they play the game, right? This is what this guy is. It doesn't change. And all we have to do is to put him in the right system to take advantage of that particular um, that particular way of playing that particular mode of operating an offense right but the players are dynamic and they can they change the way they play and they can kind of get stuck in a rut they can go in a they can go in a direction that you didn't want them to go in for whatever reason maybe like maybe they just started leaning that way maybe circumstance forced them to start playing like that and then they can't reverse it it's very difficult it's you know, you, for what it's like, if you imagine a golf swing, right? It starts off, let's say you get taught to perfection, your swing is perfect, then you start developing habits, right? And if you don't get them, if you don't have a guy like constantly monitoring your swing, it starts to change. And over time, it gets more, more and more divorced from what it started off being. And then if you then try and come along and change it, it's a massive like rebuild job to start from scratch and get you back to where you first left the pathway. Yeah, that's kind of what it is for quarterbacks. So there's a few of them to whom this is relevant right now. Teddy Bridgewater, who I think has changed dramatically from what he was at the beginning of his career. Aaron Rodgers, who's who's strayed from the path and someone who's closer to that that crossroads than Rodgers. But Baker Mayfield might be heading down the wrong pathway right now. And so the thing with Rodgers is I think we're now looking at a guy who everybody thinks is the guy from 2011, right? When he was arguably the best quarterback we've ever seen for a season. And that was the kind of level we talked about. Now he's, so that was sometime after that, he hit this crossroads, started heading down this pathway of being more and more conservative, not taking chances, um, being a sort of, you know, ultra game manager where it's, I, I, I do not risk the football but and I'll make some huge crazy plays, but I'm probably not going to do the risky stuff. But also in exchange for sacks, right? In exchange for negative plays, yes. Um, and now it's so okay. How much of it is him? How much of it is Mike McCarthy's offense? Where does the blame lie? Now we get Lafleur coming in. We have a new system, but you're still dealing with a guy who probably needs to have his game kind of rebuilt at some point. And I don't know how easy that's going to be. It's certainly not going to be easy mid-season like you're not gonna be able to completely rework a guy's game unless you're Peyton Manning randomly in the middle of a week um mid-season so this uh, Rodgers will always be good because he's too talented to be anything other than that right even if he sticks to this 
kind of game manager plus style of play, he's too absurdly talented to be anything other than a really good quarterback. But in order to get back to that 2011 level of play, you might need to rebuild his game from the ground up. And I don't know how easy that is. So so here's what I'm wondering. Um, I saw Dan Orlovsky tweeting it out about Matt LaFleur's offense, saying he game plans really well, but he hasn't made good in-game adjustments. And then it, it is that feeling, right? You know, Rodgers comes out smoking. They, you know, he's making a lot of plays uh, in the first half. I think all of his touchdowns are first half touchdowns. Um, just from a grading standpoint, I just split the first and second half. Rodgers is about an 80 PFF grade in the first half, 62 in the second half. I want to know, is it the offense or is Rodgers, when they have a lead, going into uber conservative mode? Is right. he just going into Alex Smithian, do not throw a pick mode? in the second half and even that first half as much as it's better than the second 80 is 10 points shy of where Aaron Rodgers belongs oh yeah like his absolutely. talent belongs right. 90 plus and if he's not playing at that level you've got to ask why now part I again I don't I don't think that this the new offensive system is definitely different from the old one and it may be better in a lot of areas I don't know that it's great like, it's not like we just put him into Andy Reid's Chiefs offense. No, I agree. Suddenly you see Rodgers in a perfect situation, and it's all Rodgers now, right? The, the offense is definitely definitely has some of its own issues, but I think the problem we're now looking at with Rodgers is a fundamental one, not one that is going to be snapped out of randomly, right? We're not just going to click and Rodgers is back to his best. And, oh, look, like he has changed from the quarterback that he was. And I think in order for anyone, in order for him to ever get back to where he was, everybody needs to like collectively understand that. Because if we just keep waiting for him to go back to that, it's never going to happen. Interesting. Still has it in him. This is my theory. Still has it in him. Right. But I would. So if I'm a Packers fan, I'm really encouraged because now you've got a defense to play with. And I'm still thinking, you know, you still have Aaron Rodgers. I mean, in any given game, if you're just like, hey, Aaron, can you just go carry us, please? Like, he's more than capable. Well, plus. It, that idea of being a game manager plus is not a bad thing to be. We said this for years with Alex Smith that if you, that's not a, it's not an inherently bad thing for that quarterback to play that style. It just means that your defense needs to be good and yeah. other things need to be good. Now, if the Packers' defense is legit, that Rodgers might be the perfect player to guide that to, to you know steer that ship because everything else is capable of holding up its end of the bargain. Yeah, will be interesting to see for the rest of the season here how that one whole the whole thing plays out. As far as Denver, they're zero and three. Not looking like a great football team. No. Um, Joe Flacco's obliviousness in the pocket is actually amazing to watch. Yeah. Like, it's, I, it's, it's kind of impressive how you, can not know, how you can just not be aware of what's going on around you. In certain circumstances, it would be admirable. But when your line is not great, it's, it's, not, a, it's, not, it's not beneficial. We essentially said those guys are the guys. Those are the guys that make the stat passing under pressure volatile because yeah. it, it or, or just production under pressure in general yesterday he sacked six times but has a passer rating of 108 under pressure those are the guys that you know they stand in they make great throws because they're oblivious and they're the same guys who are oblivious and then throw a pick under pressure so they're the, they are the vault they are the guys who make this whole thing volatile he's like somebody just d- deciding to ignore the weather warnings and like driving down to the local supermarket in the middle of a hurricane just completely unaware of what's happening around them, right? There's like, there's Are you trying to set the podcast record for metaphors today? No, but I'll take it. 
So, you know, he's in the car. He's just driving along. There's, like, bricks and trees and fences and stuff flying all around him. And occasionally, like, he might make it through. It might go fine. You'll, you'll make it into the supermarket parking lot and finally find out it's closed because there's a hurricane going on. Alternatively, you might find a lamppost fly through the side window of your car and impale you in the face, which is kind of what's happening to Joe Flacco, right? Occasionally, it'll work out. And somehow, you'll manage to navigate the chaos swirling around you in the pocket. But... Alternatively, you're about to find a defensive end jumping on you because you didn't know he was there. So that's Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco. It's a guy driving to, to the shop in a hurricane. Yeah. Prove me wrong. I don't think you're wrong. There you go. I think you might be on on that one. All right. Let's move on to the Atlanta Falcons at the Indianapolis Colts. I think the Colts are still proven here that they've got a pretty nice little roster. Jacoby Brissett's production has been fantastic. I don't think he's playing as well as the stats would show. Well, he's the he's the the latest um, lowest interception rate in NFL history. Yeah, oh, he's the guy now. Yep, it was Rogers. Um, before that, it was Kaepernick, right? Or one of those two has had it, and now it's Jacoby Brissett. Huh. I mean, he is on the he is on the game manager spectrum spectrum level continuum. No, I don't think that's the right it's word. Continuum. Is it? Yeah, kind of. I think so. No, anything that has different places on a line is that not a hmm. uh, it feels like the wrong word to me yeah whatever our listeners will let us know okay um anyway Brissett has managed things pretty well for the colts production has been fantastic he's had a little bit of interception luck um through like a back shoulder to ty hilton way inside and hilton's adjust- so yeah that's not great they've done some but that's where they're living again. It's like it's the Aaron Rodgers thing, right? It's you stay away largely from the yeah. middle of the field. You play the sidelines. You work against man coverage of these back shoulder throws constantly, and you probably won't throw many picks because you actually, in order to throw a pick doing that, you need to do what you just described, which is throw one of those back shoulder things inside towards where the corner is. Right. You basically need to throw it at him to the point where it's harder for the receiver to catch than it is the DB. Yeah. So you're right. Like middle, middle of the field beyond 10 yards, 0 for 2 yesterday yeah just didn't do a whole lot there but short middle 14 for 14 for 138 so that short game and yards after catch working pretty well for the Colts right right now and again that's it's not that that's inherently bad right that if you don't have an Andrew Luck that might be the best you can do this might be the way to win if you don't have that guy like if you don't have a top quarterback the next best option might be a very limited quarterback who understands how not to screw it up yeah, I'm not hating on these teams that have that. I'm oh no, just we're saying, just we're just trying to describe right. what's happening here. I mean, the the Falcons, I just can't really figure out because they finally get a pretty clean game from Matt Ryan. You got Julio touchdown machine now. You know, you've got a very good passing offense, but still something lacking there. Inconsistent, just not getting the type of production from Calvin Ridley week in week out. But I mean, we always talk about this passing game foundation. If you have it, not only should you be in every game, but you should win more than you lose. And the Falcons seem to just try to um, make us look bad in that regard over the last two years, <laughs> yeah. essentially. Hey, we got they got Matt Ryan. He's been productive overall. First two weeks were not great. Ton of turnover worthy plays. That's why they um, were one and one coming into this game, nearly zero and two. But man, they are like they should just be better, right? Yeah, yeah, they should. Um, they're a weird team this year. I can't quite understand how their games are playing out this even this one um well still just coverage wise on the back end right their coverage grades um in their losses last year just poor 
Like they just gave up a ton last year. And I think that's probably just a part of it yesterday as well. Yeah. Just stopping up like you if you could pass, that's great, but you still have to stop opposing passing games to win. And the Falcons are in the bottom third in coverage grade right now in the NFL. And um, that's just not going to cut it. This was a, a really fun game to watch Deion Jones because he made a couple of plays that were pretty spectacular, like high-end Deion Jones, where you're you're one of maybe three linebackers in the NFL that can make this play, four maybe. Um, and then he also got victimized by Naheem Hines yeah. in the open field in a move that, again, you're probably not like, – this there's only a few guys that can make that move. So it was like – it was just – that was a tackles. fun, a fun um, back and forth between a guy who's making some pretty spectacular plays that not many linebackers can make, and yet even that guy is susceptible to getting put on his ass by a guy just pulling out an insane move in the open field. Three missed tackles for Deion Jones in that one. Uh, let's move on to the Lions, undefeated Lions. Yes, they're two zero and one. This is true. Undefeated Lions beating the Eagles twenty-seven to twenty-four. Was this a unanimous game? We all picked Philly. Probably. Yeah. So Detroit, you know, credit to them. I mean, they did they did a really nice job. Um, also, you talk about weird games and you, you Carson Wentz, what it was like his best throws were dropped and he, then he would miss random throws. Things just seem way more difficult offensively for the Eagles than I expected. And I know they're banged up. They had a ton of injuries. Right. You know what the Eagles are? They're this team that's going to, they're going to end up getting to the playoffs, presumably as a wild card team, because Dallas don't look like losing a lot of games anytime soon. Um, and that gap is beginning to widen. So they're going to get to the playoffs, 10 and six, nine and seven, something like that. And people are going to be completely underestimating them because, they don't have a great record. They've lost a lot of these games. You know, you're going to end up saying, this team lost to the Falcons. It lost to the Lions. They're nothing. But they keep they're finding ways to lose these games that they really shouldn't be, right? Like Dallas Goddard drops a touchdown in the end zone that was right in his hands. Like that's a terrible drop. So that was a bad drop. So like I said, Wentz's best passes. It was that one to Goddard and then the post over the middle late that got past the corner, probably should have been caught. So you had those types of plays. Mac Hollins, I loved Mac Hollins coming out of UNC as a deep threat, but he's got offensive PI penalty. He's got he had a few, you know, caught a few passes. Also had a few right. penalties. You've got like a contested catch situation that our Sega Whiteside can't come down with. Uh, you assume, yeah, that was the, that's the one. Right. You assume that he should make that yeah. play most of the time. Anyway, we're going to end up in a situation where we're like the Eagles kind of suck, and they really won't. Well, like, that was last year. They're going to be well capable of making a playoff run if they just stop shooting themselves in the foot with these plays. Yeah, and, and, even, again, and get guys healthy. Right, and like last week, Aguilar drops what would have been a touchdown as well. They've literally dropped two, they've dropped their way to two losses. Right. So th- this was, just going back to Wentz really quick again, he threw two touchdowns on one that was like a legit pick play, a legal pick play because you could set a pick within one yard. Right. And that was like, again, me going to set a screen in hoops, just being like, all right, here's the pick. So easy touchdown there. Yeah. And then the shallow cross to Aguilar where he jukes the whole team for a touchdown. Um, it was just a weird game. Wentz's best throws fell incomplete. He had two cheap, cheap touchdowns. The Eagles passing offense overall um, just left plays on the table, you know, and th- but this was them last year. Remember they lost to, t- to Tennessee mm-hmm. early in the year and it was another game like, oh, the Eagles are just a better team, you know, that they should they should not lose that game. Um, Detroit did do some nice things defensively. I, so when you play a ton of man coverage, 
even if you don't have great man coverage defenders, you're still going to have you're still going to make things difficult on the opposing offense. You're like you just they just have to like earn yeah everything. I mean, most of the time, it's not easy to complete passes against against man coverage. The even, thing is, yeah. when it does go wrong, it's really wrong. Yeah, and and that's what I feel about um, Detroit right now. Like Justin Coleman's making a lot of nice plays. Rashawn Melvin's playing pretty well. You got Darius Slay on one side. Tracy Walker has been fantastic at safety when he's had to cover tight ends or made, you know, made that great interception on Kyler back in Week One. So I think this back seven overall i always use the just making life difficult on opposing passing offenses and that's what's keeping them in games and then you get you know stafford made a few throws stafford had a reasonable game he had a pretty good the other thing that stood out to me poor old danny amandola makes a truly spectacular sideline catch right proper like chris carter style up in the air grabs it toe tap knowing that you're coming down horizontal but being Danny Amendola, like the drop from that high with no bracing himself, just like ground his bones into chalk. Like yeah. you make a truly spectacular play, but you're the one human being that can't possibly withstand that fall to the turf from it's that great catch from that height. So it's like amazing lays out, comes down horizontal, like face first into the turf, and then just lies there in a heap. You're like, oh yeah, not the most durable of people is old Danny. No, but. Will sacrifice his body for the catch. Yeah, gotta, that was a great catch. And Stafford, that. Stafford's done a lot this year, just kind of flicking the ball under pressure and navigating the pocket when necessary. He left a few throws on the table as well. Um, but he's got that, you know, just feeling it type of uh, feel, even though he didn't complete any passes beyond 20 yesterday. He he hasn't had the spectacular Stafford game, but it's in there. He's, yeah. had, he's, he's had some of the flashes. TJ Hawkinson starting the season with six catches for 131 yards and a touchdown has since got eight receiving yards. So he had a, he could have had two touchdowns easily. He had a right. drop and then the pass where Stafford put it on him and he felt he stepped out of bounds. Mm-hmm. And that was a weird play too. Cause I think Hawk won the route. He had a corner route. He won it right off the bat. And then Stafford didn't get it to him right away. He adjusted the route in the back of the end zone, just lost feel for where he was. What's also interesting is that in that first game, nine targets. He's only had four since. Yeah, total. Like for a so guy the, that we were, we were, this is the greatest tight end to ever come along. Right so the people the were asking me, is he a top five tight end right away? Right. So let's just wait. That's the, wait. really the lesson of the start of the season. It's guys. I mean, I've had a guy up in I, up in my mentions. It's like um, trying to play gotcha with Quan Alexander. Like we are weeks into the season. Maybe he's completely transformed himself. You know, maybe he's a different player. Maybe he has stopped missing tackles. But we're now three weeks into the season. Well, so it depends on how we look at this. Because when we, Quan Alexander in particular, when he signed, we said, look, in this new situation where he's a pretty athletic playmate, he's a playmaking linebacker who in our system has had a ton of negative grades Mm -hmm. the last couple of years, most of which came from missed tackles, missed assignments. If you can cut down on the missed tackles, especially with the new style, you might get a player out of him. That does not change one grade from the first three years of his career in Tampa Bay. Right. But also, um, it's going to take more than three weeks for me to say that you completely changed him. And right? there's that, too. In three but even seasons, if he has changed, it doesn't mean he was great before. In three seasons where he's played let's you know, most of the year, he has missed 20-plus tackles, right? He hasn't missed any through three weeks. I'm still going to say he's probably going to miss some until we go through longer than three weeks. Three-week period in the NFL is nothing. Anything can happen in a three-week period. So do we, um, 
Did you see the Doug Peterson decision to go for it on fourth and eight? Yes. So own territory, about 25-yard line, right? And uh, your buddy, Andrew Siciliano, was like, this decision... I'm not going to... This decision will this be This decision... We love Andrew. He's our colleague over at NFL Network. Nah. Will be discussed in Philadelphia all week. Yeah. Um, I didn't... Again, I didn't talk to our forecast guys, George and Eric. They've got the hard numbers on it, but intuitively, we've got... Eagles are down three. I believe the the thought process is this. Fourth and eighth is about three minutes left. If you don't get it, chances are Detroit is going to play a conservative game, right? Because they're trying to run clock. And and they're probably going to run the ball three times and kick a field goal. And then you're down six. Right. And essentially that happens. Detroit runs the ball a couple times. Stafford throws up an underthrow. And it's, okay, now they're kicking. Now they're down six. So that is essentially what I think the Eagles expected. That's what the numbers would say is like the worst case scenario. When you're down three versus down six, we talk about this all the time. Your offense, you essentially, you're automatically playing with four downs when you're down six. So it's actually not that much worse being down six versus being down three. So I think the Eagles were saying, look, if if the Lions get the ball back, worst case scenario, we're down six here and we have about two minutes to drive and we go. And that's exactly what happened. If you get the fourth and eight, all right, you just you keep the ball rolling and, and blah, 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 blah. So essentially, possession is way more important than field position, and field goals don't matter. Is this, the, the, Your decision is this. I need the ball, so I don't need to punt it. Field position's overrated, especially in today's NFL. Chunk plays are yeah. easier to come by, and field goals don't move the needle. Right. I think and, there's, and the Lions aren't playing for a touchdown. If the Lions decide there's going to be a time in the NFL. Sorry to interrupt. There'll be a time in the NFL where maybe that decision is more difficult because on the other side, you're like, man, there's a coach on the other side right. that's going to play for a touchdown here, and if they score a touchdown, this game's over. Yeah. But they're probably going to play for a field goal, and we still have a chance here. But right now, I think we're at a point where Doug Peterson is going to continue to make high-percentage decisions, and over time, they're going to work out, even though the last two weeks, technically, I mean, they lost. I think over time, they're going to work out. I think that first point you made is the most important sort of change that needs to happen for everybody i think some people are already there everyone else is on that road that i need the ball is the most important aspect of this right Right. it's you kind of switch back and forth between what's more important uh, possession or territory those are essentially the two things this is the same with rugby except it's a free-flowing game right do you want to play for possession retain the ball at all costs regardless of where you're playing it or do you play for territory and say the game is going to take place inside their, the opposing 22, inside their red zone, not mine. I don't care if I have the ball or not, but that's where we're playing this game. Or I don't care where we're playing the ball. I need it because that's the only way I'm scoring and the only way I'm preventing you from scoring. The NFL, things have switched to the point where that's the game, right? You need the ball because that's how you score and that's how you stop there from scoring. Them having the ball is bad regardless of what happens. So you're going to see more people going for, going for it on fourth down. You're going to see more of that kind of mentality because having the ball is everything. It is. Did you shout see? Out, shout out to Gordon. You said you liked my shirt. Huh. Okay. I appreciate that, Gordon. Thank you. Thanks for paying attention. Thanks for tuning in. Did you see the Ravens drop kick outside yeah. thing? That was awesome. That was being hailed as genius. Why? What did it achieve? Also, um, it wasn't even revolutionary. Nothing. The Seahawks did that with Michael Dixon. Yeah, but not that high. Well, that like, that's just a. So execution the, thing. The announcer said he didn't kick it high enough. When I I think he wanted it even higher, so that you could, so they were trying to create a get people under. Yeah, so they're trying to create a jump ball situation. Yeah. So the reason that happened is because people have no earthly idea how to execute an onside kick anymore since they changed the rules. 
Yeah, that's one like, way to... It's so small, the chance of you recovering. The people yeah. are just taking shots at any random crazy thing they can think of that might actually generate something freaky, like a turnover. But Justin Tucker being able to do this, I mean, you're you're the rugby guy. Correct me if I'm wrong. That reminds me of, like, golfers are able to just create... They, they can just do crazy shots. Like, Phil Mickelson can take, like, a full hack in the rough and pop the ball straight up and catch right. it. Like, they could do crazy stuff. Well, so That's this impressive was- to me that kickers and punters can do that type of stuff well this was really interesting because mechanically it's not even in the same ballpark as a rugby drop kick so what michael dixon did was a rugby drop kick right yeah when you watch a guy execute a rugby drop kick the the time delay between the ball bouncing and your foot connecting with it is almost instantaneous it's minimal right and the only difference between like distance and arc is if you're trying to get it up in the air, you let it bounce a little bit higher and then you're kind of coming under it, right? Yeah. But it's very minimal, the distance between like it bouncing and you kicking it. He like let it, like threw it away, let it bounce up and then like ran up and volleyed it. Like I've never seen that mechanically as a method of drop kicking. So that's the most interesting thing is that that was not a rugby style drop kick. That was like an invented drop kick style that I've never seen before. Can you do something where you just like, can you plop it in between? where the coverage team is and put some English on it or something. I mean, how how inventive can these kickers, punters I mean, get with some of these kickoffs so to if you went, curb the... It, you could legitimately kick. go to a rugby-style onside dropkick, right? Which is you what they do when they... Again, you when you're kicking off for rugby, you can essentially choose where you want to aim. Do you want to kick it deep? Do you want to kick it shallow and contest? And that's what they could shoot for, right? So if they're doing it, they try and get one that drops like, 10, 15 yards. Again, it's got to go 10. And they try and get a high-arcing one, just enough time for your chasers to get under it and be able to make a a contested situation out of it. And again, that's just putting a lot of height under it that drops down in an area, kind of like an onside. Um, But in rugby, it's easier for the defenders because they can lift guys to catch it. So even if you've got a guy running onto it, Can, can we do that? They can just lift the guy up and he'll catch it higher than you can get and it's not that easy to contest anymore. Was the 6'10 guy a lifter or was he getting lifted? He's getting lifted. So you imagine how high he gets in the air? And he got cut? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bad day for Devin Toner. Man, how um, is... Is he related to Jet Toner? I doubt it. Stanford kicker? I I would. I have no reason to believe he would be. Um, but, so, but you could legitimately execute that in the NFL, right? The style would be the same. It's a hell of a lot easier to execute that than it is whatever Justin Tucker did. Um, I would imagine Michael Dixon would be pretty good at doing that right now. And that, I would say, has got a far greater chance of being uh, of retaining possession than a standard onside, given what the rules are now. What a weapon for the Seahawks. Michael Dixon. Well, it's assuming he would, they've, they let him do that, which they haven't yet. All right, let's move on to the Daniel Jones show. Yes, Daniel Jones. So if, if the Bucs so missed a field goal that they should have hit. Yeah. If they hit that field goal, I think that the buzz is still the same for Daniel Jones, but the fact that the Giants won it and it's this 18-plus point comeback and it's never been done since the 50s or whatever it is makes that story even greater. That was an impressive debut for Daniel Jones. It was. He looked really good. Um, Again, I'm not, you know, I'm not ready to say yet that they were right to take him at six. You know, it's too early to say to crown him. Crown him if you want to. Um Look, Jones look good. He, he, at very minimum, he has proven that they were right to dump Eli, right? Sit down, Eli. He's not doing anything for you right now. 
Jones right now, at the very minimum, does everything he can do and gives you a little bit more. Sneaky athletic. He's a new poster boy for sneaky athletic. But he's really athletic. Sneaky athletic, Steve. He's not sneaky. He's real athletic. He's a white guy. He, he has ran sneaky well. athletic. It's like the Andrew Luck athletic-ish. Um, he's the poster boy for that now. Yeah. But the point is he brings an added dimension to Eli, and he's able to do pretty much everything Eli would do, so why would you not yeah. put him on the field? But, you know, I'm not, I'm not ready yet to say that, again, it's crazy small sample size, but he definitely looked good. And, you know, he le- I think he lets you do a few more things than Eli was doing right now. I think the way... I, could, I couldn't tell whether that offense, it, it was a different sort of scheme, different plays that they were using before. And I couldn't tell whether this is designed to boost a young quarterback, you know, the way you pair back the offense. Excuse me. You pair back the offense and you kind of, you know, you put in some plays there that will make them look good, you know, that kind of yeah. way. Or if it's like, all right, now we're not, now we don't have this millstone of Manning around our necks. Now we can, op- we can go back to what worked when I had uh, Case Keenum dropping dimes for the Vikings a couple of years ago. That was the one point I forgot to make on uh, the preview podcast is that Jones would add at least a running dimension. Right. You know, there are times when Eli can run the offense and hit some intermediate throws and all that stuff, but Jones has been more consistent on the deep ball than Eli and the running elements. And if he, even if it's just those two things, then it's a different offense. Yeah. So I couldn't quite tell if, if the offensive scheme was sort of deliberately trying to boost him or if it's now been like liberated by having him as the quarterback, but either way, it's better than it was when Eli was. So yes. So Daniel Jones, not to, we're not, we're just trying to bring the facts to the table here. Oh, you're going to get haters again. I've been very impressed with Daniel Jones. That's it. I'm going to write about him this week. We're going to have a, we're going to, I'm going to write about him. Um, what's, what's gone well, what can we not necessarily expect going forward? One thing we cannot expect going forward is when he's under pressure, going 14 for 19 for 243 in a touchdown, a passer rating of 133.1. I would not expect that going forward. Mm-hmm. He did take five sacks. I do think overall, we made the Nick Foles comparison. Like this was, no, granted, it's in his first game. So anything he does that's good, you have to say it's impressive. It's his first game, right? It's yeah. like this is different from Foles being in game 30 of his career. But this was very Folesian in that there was great stuff under pressure because he's willing, one of part of the scouting report, willing to stand in there and make throws. I also did think he did a really nice job of just, just his poise in the pocket, all the things that the Giants love from an intangible standpoint. He's cool under pressure. All that stuff was great. But it also leads to some strip sacks, some fumbles that he shouldn't be fumbling. So I still think you're going to get some volatility with him, particularly under pressure. He only aver- he averaged 5.5 yards per attempt in a clean pocket. Now, there were a couple drops in there and all that, but whatever. I'm just saying to expect that type of performance, it was very impressive, but it's on like the high end of like this thing's going to regress. You know what else probably isn't going to happen every week? What's that? Evan Ingram's not going to catch a pass, run 75 yards down the sideline for a touchdown every week. Oh, that might not happen, too? No. I mean, so this is one of those things where it's like, oh, why are you penalizing him for putting the ball in the spot to get great yards after the catch? We're not. not. Right? It was a nice pass, but what happened after that was basically all Evan Ingram outrunning people at an absurd rate. And sometimes a nice pass, like, it should lead to 8 or it should lead to 15. And we kind of give him credit for what... It, it should was, lead to, and then when nice it goes pass, above and beyond, that's It was a nice pass help. that enabled him to catch it in stride and get yards after the catch, but the amount of yards after the catch he got was all down to Ingram out running and beating people down the sideline in a way that probably shouldn't happen. So, so that's not going to happen. Everywhere. So overall, 
Very impressive there. Yeah. Um, Jameis looked like he was ready to have a monster game. Then he throws his picks. I mean, he was he had some he had some bad ones in there too. Where did uh... but he led he led the comeback charge. Threw it up. Nice pass to Mike Evans to get them into field goal range. So I texted you this at some point during the game. I was like, Jameis's average depth of target is going to be like 25 in this game. Yeah. It ended up being 13.6, and that was with some dump-offs late in the game. Just another typical like, game. I, a, and it, <laughs> the thing is, it was working. I don't understand why they they went Listen. away from it to a degree. They Mike Evans against Janoris Jenkins was just like a bullying tape. It was absurd. Yeah. Like They had a touchdown every time they wanted it in that to that combination. Um, and ended up basically regressing back into, you know, ugliness. Listen to these splits. Blitz versus no blitz for Jameis Winston. Okay. When blitzed, 14 for 16 for 272, three touchdowns, 17 yards per attempt, and a perfect passer rating of 158.3. Against no blitz, he was 9 for 21, 43% completions, had a pick, 39.4 passer rating. That is literally the difference between a perfect passer rating or just spiking the ball into the dirt uh-huh. every single time. So maybe the Giants should have blitzed less than 17 times. Mike Evans, just against Janoris Jenkins, seven catches for 176 yards and three touchdowns uh, at an average of 25 yards per catch. Wow. Um, I There was no reason to ever stop going at that like every single play you saw man coverage one-on-one on the outside with Janoris should the ball should have been going to Mike Jenkins because there was no there was no point at which Jenkins was able to contend with that it was absurd so ultimately here's here's the deal the Giants coverage has been a disaster overall yeah Daniel Jones however you want to slice it was the quarterback when they scored 32 points and found a way to win this game yes I think that makes him a more exciting team going forward Saquon Barkley gets hurt Mm. they still managed to score 32 points despite generational talent Saquon Barkley who carried the ball eight times for 10 yards That's a pretty pretty big body blow for the running backs matter crew is that not only were they unable to win with him being amazing but when he got hurt they score a lot of points and win like passing game it's about as big a a kick to the stones as you're going to find if you're the uh, running backs matter guys you know what my favorite stat might be of possibly the year, the Bucks have nine sacks on defense. Shaq. Shaq has eight of them. Yeah. Crazy. He had a monster game. Four yesterday, according to PFF. I don't know what the NFL gave him. Yeah. Four. The um, the Bucks also went from a team in two first two weeks. It's like, oh, yeah, coverage unit. You know, they did some nice things against the Niners, did some nice things against a beat-up Cam Newton. The coverage unit was going to be a huge story coming into the year. I don't think they were going to be great. They were just intriguing because they were young. And all their young guys, including Vernon Hargraves, ah, Vernon Hargraves is bad. not great. So, yeah, just something to keep an eye on there with the Bucks. They were so close to being 3-0. Vernon Hargraves is really Sorry, good. They weren't. They were 1-1 one one coming into the game. But, yeah, the Bucks, they were set up for the win. I don't yeah. think that I, honestly, I don't think that would have changed the narrative. I think everybody would have been impressed with Daniel Jones regardless. But the fact that the Giants won, I think, helps the. They were the team with story. the kicker. Yeah, they were. So their kicker had he'd gone four for four for field goals, but it shanked two extra points hmm. um, and then missed that game winner. Yeah, By the way, the kicker deserves credit for finding the only way humanly possible to make those uniforms worse. So the Bucks have by far the most hideous uniforms possibly ever featured on 
people. See the Browns? But certainly in the NFL. Like, their uniforms are obnoxiously hideous. And I didn't think it was possible to make them worse. But the Bucks kicker decided that if you got fluorescent yellow boots and put them on the bottom of those uniforms, it would take him to a whole new level. Um, honestly, for you. he deserved to miss the kick just because of that. And I'm glad it happened to him. All right. That's just what I'd like to say. That's how strongly I feel about those uniforms combinations. Well, let's move on to the Carolina Panthers at the Arizona Cardinals. Kyle Allen with his second straight monster <laughs> statistical game. Well, look, when you upgrade a quarterback, good things happen to you. And apparently the Panthers did that. Poor Cam. Yes, I should point out that this is upgrading only in terms of how Cam was playing, not overall. Yeah. Um, but I'm not the only human being to actually make that as an unironic statement. Jason, uh, yeah, Jason Whitlock posted that, uh, yeah, the, the, the Panthers can have a decision to make now when Cam comes back. It's like I was about to post that very same tweet, except mine was going to be a joke. Like He actually means it. Look, Kyle Allen played well, but, and Cam Newton was playing like crap because he was hurt. But a healthy Cam Newton is your starting quarterback, not Kyle Allen, unless he goes on a run of playing like this every single week, which, again, is probably unlikely to happen. The one thing I've always wondered about Cam is he was, he was always in that spectrum of low yards after the catch and all these different things, right? And people thought that he just had this poor supporting cast. Because, oh, look, he never gets this or he never gets that. Never has yards after the catch. How much of that was his own playing style? Inaccuracy. Inaccuracy right. and various things like that. Um, where everything he brought to the table, which we talk about the running game and stuff like that, was great. But all you would need is somebody that was just a better passer mm -hmm. to essentially make up for that. Like, let's not overrate what he brings to the table. Let's also not overrate Kyle Allen right away. But he is a fascinating story because he never he's another one of those guys who never really played well in college, was a five-star recruit, five-star arm and all that stuff, had the, you know, had the pedigree, never actually played all that well at Texas A&M or Houston. And... When he's been in the NFL and in the preseason, he's done a lot of nice things. Yeah, I mean, he might be a good quarterback. I'm just saying that, you know, Cam Newton healthy is very good unless we think that he's another one of those quarterbacks that has strayed too far from the path and is permanently broken without a big reboot somewhere down the line. Plus, he's got the injury things at work. Um, but you're right. There's, there is factors at play. This idea of Daniel Jones, that pass to Evan Ingram was in the perfect spot for him to catch it in stride and then break off whatever it was, 40-plus yards after the catch. If that ball is on his back hip, maybe it's still catchable, but he has to slow down enough so that Levante David can catch him from behind, and he only makes 20 yards out of the catch. That's what could be happening on a consistent basis with Cam Newton, that even now when they're getting receivers to get more open, if he's inaccurate to the point where the ball location is causing them to stop running, you're not going to get that yards after the catch. If you replace him with Kyle Allen, who's accurate to, to put the ball where it needs to be, those guys can catch the ball. They can make yards after the catch. They can make him look better overall. So yeah. there's always a trade-off between right. do you get the guy that can make the big plays but maybe leave some meat on the bone because his basic down-to-down -down accuracy is iffy, or do you get the guy that's got really good accuracy but can't make some of those plays? Carolina's defense played played a pretty good game. Um, so I know if you look at uh, Kyler Murray, it was a 30 completions for about a buck 70. That's insane. Yes. His Four yards per attempt. Bizarre. Now, his best throw was about 45 yards in the air, should have been caught. But even then, you're still talking about this uber dink and dunk passing game. Even if that pass yeah. is completed. See that? Look at that grade. Yeah. That grade nice. on that pass. You right. put it on him. Like, it should have nice. been caught. It was beautiful. Um, but everything else, 
is that dink and dunk game and Carolina's defense did a really nice job. They got some pressure. Brian Burns had a really nice game. The rookie edge defender. We talked about Carolina's defensive front, you know, maybe being a top 10 type of unit with Gerald McCoy. And if Burns does live up to that potential, that's what they're starting to look like. Yeah. And we talked before about how this offense for the Cardinals, it's, it's unusual and that it spreads everybody out, but it's not actually doing anything complex in terms of, uh, route combinations and getting people open. So it's like all their completions before have been sort of basically just throwing back shoulder plays to guys one-on-one with defensive backs on the outside. Like it's not, you know what I mean? It's almost creating these situations where if you play well, if you play disciplined on defense, you're going to force them to take these really short passes and win by excruciating increments, even if they're spreading you massively horizontally. Yeah, there's, there's some development that needs to happen there. We, one of the big stories coming in, we talked about the Bengals, we talked about all these new offensive minds. Do they need time to acclimate to the NFL or to acclimate to being head coaches? We'll talk about Freddie Kitchens in a minute. Um, but some of the first-year coaches who are supposed to be those offensive gurus or bring explosive offenses, they're not off to a great start Yeah, overall. Um, also, that offensive line is garbage, which won't help. Like, Brian Burns is going to look like a superstar largely because he's going up against Yeah, I mean, this is – honestly, this is the story every week. And Mills is – And not just for them. There's a lot of teams. Like, this is some – this league has some of the worst offensive lines we've ever seen. Right. There were players starting on – particularly a tackle that have no business being on an NFL field. And we just run out of tackles. But we'll talk about this story every week, which is like, hey, this team's good against Arizona's offensive line. Yeah. (laughs) They're looking good. Great. Um, speaking of bad offensive lines, the Chargers. Remember, Ooh. remember we talked about. Hey, you know the line hasn't been as bad as we. They were they were horrendous. Well, yeah. Again, you go up against a good defensive line, and suddenly things start to look yeah. a lot more ugly. Sam Tevy gave up a bunch. Dan Feeney was getting smoked in the middle, um, quite a bit. It was another one of those Philip Rivers games where he, he did a lot of nice things, and he's throwing, you know, passes outside the numbers pretty well. I thought he had one of the best throws of the week. He had what should have been the game-tying touchdown to Travis Benjamin yeah, in really the fourth quarter. It was beautiful. Corner route right on him. One of our highest-graded throws of the week that was dropped. He dropped that twice in the same play, Yeah, which you don't often see. It was, it was a great play, um, a great throw. So overall, I thought Rivers did a fantastic job. Keenan Allen was, was great as well, slippery on underneath routes. The running backs continue to just make things happen out of the backfield for the Chargers. But this was one of those games where the offensive line, like you just need to hold up five or six more passing plays and you're going to score more points. Like th- yeah. This is the offensive line makes this offense uh, crippling in this particular game. This has not been a strong start to the season if you're a uh, Melvin Gordon <clears throat> holdout guy or if you're, in fact, Melvin Gordon holding out. Yeah. Like this, <laughs> this has not improved your leverage. Let's just say that. Like do the Chargers even know that he's not in the building anymore? They've been absolutely fine with Austin Eckler, um, particularly taking up the slack. Yeah, their issues, like I said, O-line driven, other place driven. Um, Deshaun Watson continues to have some, you know, statistically some great stuff came out of this game. You know, big plays with um, Jordan Aikens uh, out in space and everything. Watson breaking free from pressures, uh, from pressure. But still another guy that's just not as good as the stats would show, just a couple bad decisions in there as well but man he i think he's shown he really does have that late game magic that he's going to he's going to keep the texans in every game no matter what they have 
no matter what's going on. I thought him, between him and the Texans' defensive front, that's why they won this game. You know who's playing on fire right now is DJ Reader. Oh, yeah, he owned Feeney a couple times. Right, there's there's a few of these guys now that have been um, run-stuffing nose tackles coming out of college. And it's like, well, those guys are kind of useless in today's NFL because you need to rush the passer. Otherwise, what's the point? There's just There isn't an impact anymore for run-stuffing nose tackles. But there's a few of these guys that have developed pass rush once they hit the next level. Like Kenny yeah. Clark came out as really just a run-stuffing guy only and has kicked on and become the best nose tackle in the NFL, as we talked last week, at least when you complete. Um, and readers looks like he's developed some legit pass rush chops, um, which makes him terrifying because the dude's like 350 pounds. Like if you're an interior lineman or interior offensive lineman, today's NFL used to dealing with, you know, Aaron Donald sized bodies, you slim down, you, you know, you get some, you worked on your speed and agility. You've lost the gut. Yeah. Suddenly DJ reader comes barreling up the middle with his pass rush moves. You're like 70 pounds out of kilter again. That's, that's a lot of weight to be suddenly undermatched by. Yeah. Reader's done some nice stuff. Uh, J.J. Watt, since um, essentially getting shut down week one against the Saints, 17 pressures over the last two games, he got the best. Dude, that's, that's, why. that's like just making more impressive how dominant Ryan Ramchek was that first week. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, so that's what that's what Watt did against Sam Tevy. Again, I still have concerns about the Texans' coverage. I know it's like, hey, they just kept the charges to 20 points, but we just mentioned right. if Travis Benjamin catches that pass where he's behind the defense, then it's at least 27, right? I mean, it's at least more than that. So the Texans... I mean, they're going to be in these shootouts. They're going to be in these shootouts. Shootouts. Shootouts? Yes. Just can't speak. They're going to be in uh, some high-scoring games this year. Hmm. Really nice play by Tayshawn Gibson to maybe save a touchdown up the seam. But um, just the consistency on the uh, on the edge there is not great. Yeah. Um, but the Texans moved to 2-1. and one, Right in the thick of things. There were some fun games this week in terms of back and forths few more to get through. Pittsburgh Steelers at the San Francisco 49ers. This Speaking was, of back and forth. This was very back and forth. Yeah. The 49ers somehow won a game which they turned it over five times, three of which were in the red zone. That was amazing. Really was. Garoppolo had some bad interception luck. He played pretty pretty clean overall. Yeah. He, I mean, he graded well. He played well. Yeah. Um, they had some crazy plays. George Kittle remains amazing. Kyle Juszczyk made some absurd plays. Like, incredible catch. Um, deep down the left, like lays out, catches it, gets cracked in the face by um, Edmonds coming over late. Yep. I don't think got flagged for it, but somehow kept on. Like that's what a fullback has to do today is it's no like head down, plow through a linebacker at the line of scrimmage. You got to be able to run 40 yards downfield, lay out for a catch, um, then catch another one and like wrecks Minka Fitzpatrick. Like he hip tossed him like the worst judo flip you've ever seen in your life. Like Minka went airborne, upside down, tossed to the side, and then Juszczyk barreled through a couple of other people as well. That was some pretty dominant stuff. Uh, not a great game for Mason Rudolph. Uh, First start. Yeah, putting it lightly. So he goes 14 for 27 for 174, 76 of which came on that one long touchdown to Juju Smith-Schuster. Yeah, which was wide the hell open. Yes, so that's essentially 13 completions for 98 yards outside of that so i thought they did get pretty conservative he had seven of his 14 completions behind the line of scrimmage so that's saying okay we're not going to put much on your plate and when they did put something on his plate throwing the ball down the field he was two four three four 
seven, eight, two for eight, mm-hmm. throwing the ball down the field with that juju touchdown, one other touchdown and a pick, but um, just not, I mean, it was just like a couple nice throws in there. And yeah. some inconsistency and he, some I mean, conservatism. As much as he looked reasonably good when he came in on short notice and played, he looked pretty terrible here. Like this is that's concerning. Like he looked bad enough that the offensive line was suddenly completely overwhelmed again because you kind of control to a degree what the offensive line does. So yeah. like the <laughs> if if he plays like this, the Steelers offense is screwed. If he plays like they did last week, they've got some they've got some they got a decent chance. And the Niners have played well defensively and you know you've got DeForest Buckner with three pressures Nick Bosa had seven D Ford has three. I mean they're mixing it up with a few different yeah, guys th- that's huge for them that the guys they brought in to fix their edge rush issues have like between Bosa and between D Ford those yeah. guys are getting pressure consistently they will add to that defensive line that was already strong right up the middle so uh the st- st- three and oh Niners yeah Sneaky 3-0. And then you've got the Steelers at 0-3. So we'll see what happens with uh, Rudolph and his development with Pittsburgh. But not great. On the road, cross country, you know, see what happens moving forward there. But um, the Niners, are they a legit 3-0? I don't think so. But I'm not sold on them yet. Let's put it that way. Let's Let's see a few more games. Well, they're... um, they're ahead of the Seattle Seahawks, who lost yesterday. Yes. They're now ahead of the Seahawks. The I didn't Saints see this score. coming at all. Well, because this wasn't, it's 33-27, but it wasn't even vaguely that close. Well, there's two things at play here, right? Russell Wilson, I joked on Twitter yesterday that he went full Kirk Cousins yeah. garbage time mode. He picked up about 70 yards on the last drive and then a score with one second left right. while down two. So you're like, oh, six-point game. It wasn't that close. On the other hand, the Saints had a punt return for a touchdown and a fumble return for a touchdown. Yeah. So, I mean, their offense wasn't great either, but... So those are game, some freak plays yeah, to a, from yeah. New Orleans, which they probably need with Teddy at quarterback. Teddy's um, picked up a couple cheap touchdowns as well, yards after the catch. Kamara doing some great things. Kamara was fantastic. He really was. Absurd. And Bridgewater was just... Eh. There were two running backs yesterday that just made you go, wow, those guys are pretty, pretty crazy. There was Alvin Kamara, who every time he got the ball was just busting tackles, making yards that didn't exist. And then there's Dalvin Cook again, who was kind of doing the same thing. Um, slightly different style of doing yeah. it, but they both were making stuff out of nothing. Uh, yeah, Kamara had 92 yards, 105 after the catch as a receiver. How ridiculous was this two-quarterback narrative that was peddled all through the week? It's like, oh, the Saints are going to run. They were already running. If this is the definition of a two-quarterback system, they were already running it. I told you that, right? Didn't I say that it's going to be Teddy Bridgewater with a little bit of Taysom Hill? Which is what they were already doing. Yeah, no kidding. It's literally nothing has changed. Teddy Bridgewater was the starter. Exactly the same way Drew Brees was the starter. They were being coy. Right. Well, it's like I said. Why would you say anything other than that? Why would you tell them which guy to prepare for? Just tell them you're going to – we're using both of them. That's what we're running with. That's what they did. Um, They honestly should have used Taysom Hill more. Like to because Teddy was bad. Trying to figure out how many yards came after the catch for him. Eighty, no, seventy-eight percent of his yards came after the catch. By the way, Mason Rudolph, eighty-two percent of his yards came after the catch. That juju pass. So yeah, Teddy Bridgewater had a passer rating of one twelve point seven. Still only averaged six point six yards per attempt. Yeah, with seventy-eight percent of his yards coming after the catch. So that um, wasn't great. You see somebody tweet that, <laughs> just put that trade into context, the Saints get Marcus Davenport, the Packers get Jair Alexander and Darnell Savage. 
that doesn't look great for the Saints right now. No, we've been saying that for a while. Yeah, but it's looking even worse as the weeks go on. Even like even if you have even if it's Khalil Mack for two other players, yeah, it's tough to to get that value right. But particularly now when Jair Alexander may very well become the next best cornerback in the NFL, um, and Darnell Savage looks really good. Yeah. Um. So Seattle still has some question marks on defense. I think they played all right, but again, it's sixteen missed. I mean, so they played all right again, as in keeping the ball like not giving up those air yards that we talked about with Bridgewater. But if Bridgewater's getting 80% of his yards after the catch, Seattle's giving up 80% of their passing yards after the catch. So yeah. they missed 16 tackles. Bobby missed another one too. Another Wagner. One. Damn it. He had seven stops overall. He played all right. But yeah. uh, Michael Kendrick's out. So here's the difference. Bobby Wagner had 11 tackles and three assists by our numbers. Missed uh-huh. one. Michael Kendrick's had one tackle, uh-huh. one assist, yep. four misses. Ew. Four. That's not good. Not good. He just didn't know they were coming. Yeah. Shaquille Griffin, one tackle, one assist, three misses. Also, also not good. So the Seattle style tackling was not in its best form yesterday. No, I mean, it's a nice style, but you need to actually tackle still. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, I think Seattle anti-run game fans are still saying, man, you... Still too many like second and seventeen. Let's just let's just run and get to third and fourteen type of plays. Yeah. Um I again I know Russell Wilson can be inconsistent, but when you see how many spectacular throws he could just pull out, like Yeah, let him throw the ball fifty times again. Let's just see. Just let him throw the ball fifty times. I think that's the first game he's ever had over fifty attempts. Yeah. And it's not it's not helping that narrative of every time that happens, things go bad. But he did that without a sack. Fifty times, no sacks. He did hold the ball a lot longer, but he was making some spectacular throws. I mean, there were some empty yards in there as well. He had a big bomb to DK Metcalf before the end of the half. Time ran out. He had some plays like that. But, like, over time, I yeah. want the ball in his hands yeah, more than anyone else's hands. This is a huge game for the Saints, though, because, yeah, I mean, we didn't expect them to do that well with Teddy at quarterback. You know, they looked to be in trouble. And for them to go on the road to Seattle, which is typically a disaster of a place, to go and try and win a game, they won. All right. Yeah, that was... What do we got? Last game? Good. Sunday night football? Is that it? That's it, right? We had everything except Sunday night football. That is it. I'm just looking through, making sure. We didn't want to leave leave anyone out. No. We never leave anyone out unless we forget. Rams at Browns. What's wrong with Baker? Everything. Um, I, I'm starting to get... So here's the thing, right? He doesn't look right and hasn't looked right all season, yet he's still playing kind of well, right? Just not as well as we think he should be playing because he's Baker and therefore better than that. Um, I I genuinely think that he's at the start of that pathway we talked about before, where he is he's hit a fork in the road and he's taking the wrong path and he's starting to he's starting to take steps down that. And it's not I'm not saying it's all his fault, but things are starting to push him off the the right pathway. And for the Browns, I think they have to start being concerned and figure out how we get him back on the right track. Um, now, part of this is definitely offensive line related right their offensive line is not great um they were going up against aaron donald which will make it look worse so their their problems are typically on uh, out on the tackles neither their tackles are particularly good the interior is usually okay but the interior rolled up against aaron donald this week therefore it got abused so now the whole offensive line is looking iffy so now you're getting baker bail from these clean pockets that he shouldn't be bailing from now he's always had kind of a tendency to hold the ball a little bit too long and, you know, do some kind of slightly crazy things in the pocket, but usually makes it work. 
But there's a fine line there between this is what he does and, okay, now you've gone too far down this road. Come back. Come back to the herd. Um, I think right now Mayfield is bailing from too many of these plays. He's trying to make too much happen himself. He's not trusting what's around him to a degree, understandably, because the line is bad. But all of this is starting to snowball and build up and yeah, force so, him to do bad things. So I would look at it like this. if When we were looking for negatives for him coming out of college, it's like, hey, Bale's on some clean pockets right. sometimes. Um, but at the you know he'll drift in the pocket, but he was one of those guys who would kind of like drift to throw. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rivers does that. You know, some of the best quarterbacks drift to throw. They drift to create space because they know where they're going with it. It's not like Geno Smith used to drift just because he had no feel yeah. for the pocket. The guys who have good passing instincts know how to maneuver the pocket the right way. This is taking like his weakness and making it that much worse. Whether yeah. it is because he's afraid of the offensive line or whatever, it, or it's just right. like, hey, it's happening four times a game instead of two times a game. You know what I mean? It's just happening way more than it needs to. It also feels I don't know. It, you've got Freddie Kitchens calling plays. Todd Monken's in Monken's in there. Is Freddie taking on too much? And this is just one of those like non PFF national stories, but I think it's a a valid one, right? He's still calling plays. It feels like every play is an RPO. Or Baker bailing on a clean pocket. I know it's more than that, but that it's just, is it too conservative early downs with the RPO stuff where it's like RPO slant, RPO slant, and then, hey, let's get kind of like early last year. Hey, let's get into third and long and see what Baker can do. And he's trying to do too much. I, I don't, there, I don't love the flow no, of the offense. There is right some now. really, really iffy play calling going on. They legitimately called a draw on fourth and nine. Yeah, that was bad that was so bad that i genuinely because on that earlier in that series they thought about challenging a defensive pass interference that wasn't called and if they got that it would have been an off i think it would have been offsetting penalties it would have got them a down back so that was so bad that i was genuinely i thought they might have thought it was third and nine yeah making it merely a bad call not a oh my god what did you just do call right um like the best case scenario for that play call was that they thought the down was different which in and of itself would be... That's bad. Crazy that bad. That would be bad. Right? Oh, we thought it was 39. That's okay. Right. That would have been the best case scenario for this play call. That's how bad it was. Like, obviously, draw a fourth and nine, he got stuff. Like, just that's that's so bad. Defensively, I thought Chris really hit on it, too. You've got it, this depleted secondary for the Browns, and they hung in there, man. They did they all did. right. Um, my question's on Jared Goff. He's just been so inconsistent through three weeks. He tore them up, intermediate middle of the field, 8 for 8, 128 yards. That was great. Made a few nice throws outside the numbers. So he was – there's so many quarterbacks in the NFL right now where it's like, hey, did a lot of nice things, but, like, why would you fire that pass to the linebacker? Right. Why did you – he had a couple turnover-worthy plays that shouldn't have been. Um, just inconsistent play from Jared Goff. And, you know, D- uh, Cleveland did a really nice job against the Rams running game too. You know, they they dominated up front. The Rams run blocking and everything. This was actually one of those games where Gurley averaged about 3.2 yards per carry, and we gave him a better-than-average grade because he went above and beyond what the line gave him. So just like a really weird game overall. Turns into this defensive struggle throughout most of the game. Neither offense, I don't think, really got into a rhythm. And all that said, you know, the Browns had a chance to tie it up at the end, and the Rams, for the third straight week, found a way to win. In the PFF era, there has never been a draw called on fourth and nine or more. A draw of any kind, and a quarterback draw would have been a less terrible play call than this one. Yeah, a quarterback draw would have been like, 
okay, we're expecting man coverage. This will right. open up. But this or like what just, Daniel Jones did on his right. game winner. It's like, hey, it, was man, it wasn't a draw, but he took advantage of a man look. They, uh, they, that play happened, the Daniel Jones thing, where the Red Sea parted in front of him, and he walked in for the touchdown. And they, this commentary said, see, that's, that's what you can do when you have a running quarterback. It's like, dude, you could have done that with a walking quarterback. Called a pat- well, the, literally the same thing happened on the last play for Baker and the Browns. Yeah. If he held it, if he stepped up in the pocket, right. he would have seen green grass. Yeah. There was a little bit more pressure on There was more pressure on him. Jones didn't have pressure on him. There was a little bit more pressure on Baker, I think. But Which, if he stepped up instead of going backwards every single time. You probably could have sco- scored that Daniel Jones play with a brisk walk. You didn't need to be an athletic oh, yeah. threat to do that. Eli could have scored that. Eli could have scored that falling over, getting back up, and still making it into the end zone. It was bad. So, yeah, the Browns' defense did play well, which is good because it, it eliminated most of the bad mistakes that had been making the first couple of weeks. Yeah. But then the offense is kind of um, – it, it didn't have the same threat. Does the Rams' offensive line – is that concerning you now? We talked about it coming yeah. in. Like they're not even close to what they were last year. No, they're not good. Um, Jamil Demby played, played right guard, not great. Havenstein uh, had his best game, but Andrew Whitworth starting to look like he's almost forty. Yeah, no boom has been consistently bad. Like guard, left guard. Yeah. Um, so you know they're a team. Brandon Cooks can make some plays. We've seen what Cooper Cup can do. So they still have these these really nice pieces. Yeah, their receiving talent is really good. But now their offensive line has become a problem. Um, I think the Browns did have a good defensive game plan as well in terms of jacking what they want to do and yeah, forcing them to do something else. Six up and all that right. stuff on the, on the defensive line. They, to your point, they're going back to the tape. They're going back to right. what, what did Detroit do last year? And this is what, what did New England do last year and trying to duplicate it as much as possible. This is what the Rams need to navigate this year is every single team they're playing is basically going, okay, this slows you down. This is what we're running this week. Show me plan B. Yeah. And they haven't really yet. Now, they're still doing okay. They're winning and they're scoring points most of the games. But they've yet to really break cover on a plan B. Yeah. And that eventually is going to cause problems. Because sooner or later, you're going to run up against a real offense that's going to fire up as many points or more, you know, that you're not going to be able to stop on defense. Like if they play the Chiefs again. If the Chiefs roll in with that game plan, they're not going to hang with them in a shootout. They're going to get blown out by 20 because yeah. the Chiefs are going to put up those, that level of points again, and you're not unless you figure out how, what plan B is. Rams are doing some nice things defensively, though. Yeah, doing but, nice I things. mean, they were last year, and the Chiefs hung. Agreed. Right True. Now. All right. So there you have it. That's week three, man. Yep. Still have some Redskins-Bears Monday Night Football to go, but we'll have more on that later in the week. That'll do it for us. PFF NFL podcast. Don't forget programming notes. We're doing the Wednesday bonus. Yes, which we will keep shorter this week. Yeah, we'll keep like quick little thirty minute quick hitter. Wednesday bonus. Yeah. some Wednesday bonus. We'll be shorter. Thursday we're, preview. We're back to good quality headphones again. Back to the headphones. Fail that. Uh, PFF Elite. The games are populating right now. Premium stats two point Go get them. Check oh, out yeah. all the grades. We're going to do. What's your one sentence prediction for Monday? Not prediction. Analysis of Monday Night Football. Bears Redskins, what's happening? Uh, Case Keenum regresses to the mean. Yes, he's ridden a lot of interception luck the last few weeks. The Bears defense is legit. He's going to turn over the ball a couple of times, and the Bears Bears win like thirteen to ten. Yeah. Okay. How's that? There. So we covered Monday Night Football. There's Monday Night Football. There's a make that a whole separate video. Well, it might Monday be a Night Football. Bit short. Maybe bit short. social media. Maybe a social no, prediction. All right, guys, go get PFF Elite Premium Stats 2.0, and we will talk again on Wednesday. 
quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.